morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and take it and turn to uh, Matthew 28. Matthew 28, first book of the New Testament, last chapter of that book. Uh, our sermon will be a little different than it normally is. Usually we, we are in one text and kind of really concentrate on that one text, but we'll look at a, a lot of different passages this morning. Though our two main ones will be we'll read from Matthew 28 and then from um, Acts 26. Um, but I pray that it's a blessing this morning as we think about Jesus as the light of the world, the wonderful light of Easter that he has come to bring. And I love this great visual representation uh, in front of us this morning. Um, I, I'm not afraid of the dark. I just prefer the light. I don't know if you're like that. But uh, when I walk into my house, I, I flip on at least one light switch as fast as I can. Because, first of all, I want to make sure that I don't step on a Lego or a Barbie and uh, bruise my foot. Uh, but second, because darkness is just, it's kind of unnerving. You know, I don't know what's in there. It's its not that I'm scared of it. it darkness is just unfriendly, maybe we would say. Um, light and and darkness, these are, they're, they're total opposites, aren't they? And, and they're completely opposed to each other. You can't have light and darkness at the same time. Um, and, and this idea of light and darkness, it represents so clearly the battle we often talk about the battle between good and evil, the battle between light and, and darkness. Um, when I think about that, I get images of something like the Lord of the Rings, where the darkness is seeking to overtake the land, and we fight it back uh, with the light. Um, and there's a true battle that, that is going on in the world, the battle between light and darkness, the battle between good and evil. And it's been waging ever since Satan rebelled against God and fell from heaven, and, and there's been this battle between light and darkness for uh, since that moment. And as we think about that, and as I think about Easter, isn't Easter a wonderful day of light? It's a wonderful day of, of the brightness of what God is doing. It's a wonderful day of, of good overcoming evil. My favorite singer-songwriter, Andrew Peterson, sings about the day that Jesus was raised from the dead, and he calls it, he says it was high noon, high noon when the sun is the highest in the sky. He says it's high noon in the valley of the shadows. Uh, I won't sing it for you, but uh, some of the lyrics say this. It says, high noon in the valley of the shadow, when the shadows were shot through with light, when Jesus took in that breath and shattered all death with his life. What a great thought, as Jesus took in a breath that he, he shattered death, that the shadows were shot through with light. I don't know what it looked like exactly when Jesus burst out of the tomb, but I imagine in my mind that there was a bright light of some kind. Um, if you think about the tomb, it was, it was obviously dark. Uh, maybe you've toured some caves, you've gone down into southern Kentucky or up into Indiana. I know there's some caves. And if you tour a cave, at some point in the tour, they always say, okay, we're going to turn the lights off. So you can just feel how dark it is. And when they do that, I mean, that's that's dark. That's really dark. That's a darkness you can almost feel. And, and when you think about the tomb and Jesus in the tomb, that's that kind of darkness. It's that darkness you can feel kind of darkness. But when Jesus took in that first breath after three days of being lifeless, I imagine that, that, that the tomb, 
exploded with brightness, so much so that it just kind of blew the stone right off the front of it. Because Jesus had risen from the dead. And think about Jesus' life. Jesus' entire life was marked by light. And it was marked by a light that pierced into the darkness. You remember, as Jesus is born, what's the sign of his coming? It's a brand new bright star shining in the night sky. We've been going through the book of Luke as a church. And, and in Luke, Zechariah, uh, John the Baptist's father, what does he pronounce about Jesus? He says that Jesus will come like a, a rising sun shining into a dark valley. And he says these words in Luke 179. He says that Jesus will give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Just a chapter later, Simeon takes eight-day-old Jesus. You remember this. He, he holds baby Jesus in his arms and he says that Jesus is a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. John one of the disciples of Jesus, one of the twelve that had, had followed Jesus. You remember how he opens his, his gospel, his narrative of the life of Jesus? The third verse in John 1 says, In him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was what? The light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then later, John tells us how Jesus stood in the crowds, and what did he proclaim? He says, I am the light of the world. He who walks in me, whoever walks uh, in, in me, will, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then later on, Jesus says, the light, speaking of himself, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of God. And the light of Jesus in his life and in his, his teaching continued to shine forth. But as Jesus knew that not everyone would believe in him as the true light, he says this in John 3. Listen to these words from John 3, 19 and 20. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And then he explains why everyone who does evil hates the light. Why do they hate the light? They will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Nobody with, with darkness in them wants to come to the light because what happens when you're dark and you come to light? Your darkness is, is exposed and you see the darkness that's in you. And so as Jesus, as the light came and exposed the darkness in those that were around him, there were some that turned, there were many that turned to him in repentance and faith. But others started to hate the light more and more. They hated the light so much that they wanted to kill him. And in the darkest, the darkness of night, you remember that, that night, it was that Thursday that we, that we think on, the darkness of that night, the day before Jesus was killed on the cross, they, they came, the soldiers came, and they had these, these torches and clubs, and they came out to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus had been praying with his disciples, and they came with the hopes of snuffing out the light of the world. And when they find Jesus, and they finally identify him, what does he say? He says, have you come out? Have you come out to me as against a robber with swords and and clubs, and then he says, I, I, was, I was with you all the time. He says, when I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. 
And then he says, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. When we were together last Friday evening, we read the end of Matthew 27, which talks about this darkest day in human history, when Jesus was crucified as a criminal, even though he had done nothing wrong, when he was mocked, when he was beaten, when he was nailed to a cross. And as we thought about that dark day, we closed thinking about that when, when Jesus was, it, it was made clear that, that Jesus was dead, and then he was taken and he was put, in, put into the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And as the song says, In Christ Alone, you know that song well. We've seen that pictured here with the slow snuffing out of the candles. The song says, There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Jesus, who had, had shined so bright for so many years, it looked like he had been snuffed out. He was dead. But the song, the song quickly changes, doesn't it? Light of the world by darkness slain. And then it says, then bursting forth in glorious day. What happens? Up from the grave, he rose again. So pick up the story with me in Matthew 28. Jesus is laid in the tomb. Matthew 28, verse 1. It's the familiar story. We, we have to read this on Easter morning, do we not? It says, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet. And worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now look at what the darkness was doing in this moment. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with, assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers, a bribe, and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day, this very day even today. Verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What a wonderful story of the victory of the light here in Matthew 28. And it's not many days after this, the book of Acts tells us that, that the followers of Jesus, they, they gathered together 
They were huddled in this, this upper room. And as they're huddled in this upper room, a, a rushing wind comes in. And it says that something very strange happened. These tongues of fire came and, and rested upon their heads. And it was the, the, the picture of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised coming and, and descending on them. And from the darkness and the seclusion of, of that room, the first followers of the risen Jesus emerge out into the streets of Jerusalem and they start to proclaim the light of the truth. And Peter boldly proclaims the first gospel message in the streets of Jerusalem. And he says to everyone who's there, everyone's gathered around soon after Jesus had died and, and risen from the dead. Very, This is right during that time period. He says to everyone there, he says, Men of Israel, I beg you, listen to my words. Jesus of Nazareth was a man proved to you by God himself through the works of power, the miracles and the signs which God showed through him here amongst you, as you very well know. This man, who was put into your power by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed up and murdered, and you used for your purpose men without the law. But God would not allow the bitter pains of death to touch him. He raised him to life again, and indeed there was nothing by which death could hold such a man. And on that day, as people believed in Jesus, we can think about the light beginning to spread like the lighting of, of candles as people come to think about, to believe in Jesus Christ, that his life, his death, his resurrection. Maybe you've been in a service like that where there's, there's one candle and everyone has their, their small candle and someone comes and they, they light their candle and then they begin to pass it along and, and very quickly the, the whole room is filled with the light and the book of Acts just tells this story about how as Jesus rose from the dead it, with the light of life he passes it to his disciples and he, and he passes it to these 120 in the, in the first chapter of Acts and then the 120 go out into the streets of Jerusalem and on that day that Peter preached this message how many came? 3,000 more lights are lit and, and it starts to spread throughout the city and then in Acts 4, 5,000 more come to faith in Christ. And the, and the book of Acts traces this pattern from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the very ends of the earth. The light begins to spread and begins to, to overtake the darkness. But the light doesn't spread unopposed. Just as Jesus sought to spread the light and was opposed, there were many who tried to snuff out the message that was that was spreading, and one of them was a guy named Saul. Saul was there when a man named Stephen spoke. Stephen, one of the first deacons in the church. Stephen, it says, he was so full of the Holy Spirit that when they looked on him, they said his face was like the face of an angel, which I have to imagine as a face filled with, with light that almost shined forth. And so in the midst of this shining face, the light of the message that, that Stephen was preaching, he preached that message of light, and the light started to expose the darkness in people's hearts. And instead of turning, what did they do? They heard Stephen speaking, and they, they put their hands on their ears, and they rushed at him, the text says, as one man, and they killed Stephen. They snuffed out his light. And Saul was standing there approving, saying, yes, this is what needs to happen. God is honored in this, Saul stands by approvingly. Saul hated this new religion. He was, he was a committed Jew. And nothing bothered him more than the thought that Jesus, a guy from Nazareth, who had been hung on the accursed cross, that this guy is the Messiah. You've got to be kidding me. And so he, 
came and he saw as his devotion to God, it was his job to snuff out the light, to kill this message, to extinguish the flame of the followers of Jesus by imprisoning them and even killing them. But it was when he was on the way to a city called Damascus to continue to carry out these deeds that the light of the world knocked him off his horse. It was midday, so it's noon when the sun is strongest. And at midday, suddenly an even brighter light light than the sun at its strongest shines. And Saul falls off his horse, literally blinded by the light. And he hears Jesus himself call out to him, calls him by name. And it's not many days later that Saul is, is found by a man named Ananias. And Ananias tells him the truth about who Jesus is. And he hears and he believes. The scales fall from his eyes and he's no longer in darkness, but he receives Jesus as the light of the world. This Saul, he's later renamed Paul. And he goes from being one of the greatest people to oppose the light to one of the brightest and greatest missionaries for the light. And he goes from city to city in the book of Acts and he proclaims that Jesus is the light of the world. He says, you can be transferred. You can go from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's marvelous light. That you are walking in darkness, but Jesus calls us to come into his wonderful light. And ironically, Paul meets the same kind of opposition that he had offered to the church. And Paul lands in jail multiple times because of his proclamation of who Christ was, even as he had thrown others in jail. And at one point he's accused by some Jewish opponents of, of causing uprisings. And after years of being forgotten in prison, he comes before Felix and he appeals to Caesar. He says, I want to go to Caesar. I want to go to Rome and have my case heard there. And so Felix says, if you appeal to Caesar, then to Caesar you will go. Felix is the ruler at the time and a man named Festus takes over. Paul is still in jail. And if you would, turn over to the book of Acts. We're just tracing this story of the light, and I want to see the light of the resurrection as it continues to shine forth. In the book of Acts, uh, near the end of um, of chapter 25, Festus comes. Uh, Festus was a, a ruler in Caesarea. He was appointed by the Roman officials. He's there in Acts 25. And it says that uh, a man named Agrippa and his sister Bernice Come, Agrippa was a Jewish man. It was king. It was the title that he had of a nearby province um, appointed by Caesar. And he and his sister come. And Festus begins to tell them about this guy, Paul, that's in jail. He says, this guy is accused of causing an uprising, but I don't know what to accuse him of. I, don't, I really don't know what he's done wrong, but the Jews just want him dead. And so he says, Agrippa, you're Jewish, because Agrippa was. He says, why don't you, let's listen to him, and, and maybe you can help me figure out what kind of a charge we can pin on this guy, because I don't know what he's done wrong. And so Agrippa says, I'd love to hear him. And so almost in some kind of a show, Agrippa and Bernice and Festus have Paul brought in. Uh, chapter 25, verse uh, 23 says, So on the next day Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. So there's this, there's this picture of, of Agrippa, 
and and Bernice and Festus, and they walk into this great hall, probably with their their beautiful clothes on, and there's maybe trumpets going, and military tribunes. You can think about royalty, maybe you know the Queen of England entering a room. What that's like? That's what it's like when these people enter into the room. And then at the last part of verse 23, it says, "Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in." Here comes Paul. Paul's been in prison for who knows how long. He has chains on as he walks into this great hall, and he's standing there before these these great leaders of the world, and Paul comes in, and he's supposed to talk to them. And after Festus gives a long introduction, um, Paul is given permission to speak. Let's see what he says, Acts 26. Acts 26, verse 1, So Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore I beg you to listen to me patiently. He goes on then in the next verses to talk about who he was, about his commitment as a Jewish person, commitment to the point of persecuting Christians. And then he talks about that fateful day when he was blinded by the light of the world. Pick it up with me in verse 13 of chapter 26. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. What a wonderful testimony here of Paul. 
as he shares his life and his ministry and what God had called him to do as one who was to shine forth the light of the truth. Paul tells those that, that are listening that he was transformed by the light, that he was commissioned as an ambassador of Jesus, that he was to go out and proclaim this message of light. What is the message? What is the good news of Jesus Christ that he proclaims? Verse 18 tells us in part, he says, you're to go, Paul, Jesus tells him, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Verse 20, the second part helps us see it too, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. And then verse 23, this great summary of what the gospel message is, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. The gospel is a proclamation of light. It is a proclamation that Jesus has come as the light of the world to rescue us from the dark power of Satan and death. It is that that God has sent Jesus into the world so that we might know the forgiveness of our sins and that we might be sanctified. It's that all people need to repent and to turn from their deeds of darkness and to follow Jesus as the light of the world. He says in verse 22, He says, to this day I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. He says, I'm not saying anything new. This is something that's been told from the very beginning. This is what Jesus said actually on the first Easter. You remember that great story of Jesus on the road to Emmaus? He, he, is, he has risen from the dead. The disciples are all confused. They really have no idea what's going on. They believe, but they don't believe, but they believe. They're really not sure what to do. And there's these two disciples that Jesus meets on the road to Emmaus, but Jesus disguises himself. They don't recognize him, even though they had been with him for so long. And as they're walking along the road, Jesus comes and he meets them. And he starts to talk to them, and they are sad. And he says, what's going on? And they say, are you the only person that's not that doesn't know what's going on in Jerusalem? And they start to explain about Jesus. And they say, we, we, thought, we, we thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was the rescuer. But, but then he died. And now, you'll never believe this, these, these people came and they say that the tomb's empty, and then there's other people that are saying they saw him rise from the dead, and we just don't know what to think. And Jesus responds, and this is what he says. He says, oh, foolish ones. <laughs> Isn't that a kind thing of Jesus? He says, oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken? Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This, this message of the gospel, it's, it's nothing new. It, it's the fulfillment of God's rescue plan that he has laid out from the beginning in Genesis. That when, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, when they rebelled against God, God says, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. He says, I will send someone, and he will crush Satan. He will be the light of the world, and he will crush the darkness. He will bring light and life. This is nothing new. This is the plan that has been from the very beginning. Jesus comes. He's the full picture of the Old Testament. And he comes as as the fulfillment of all the shadows of the Old Testament, and he comes to make all the shadows of darkness flee. And how does he do that? Paul tells us, verse 23, first that the Christ must suffer. Paul says he's going to do it first by suffering. That Jesus did not suffer on the cross for his own sins. 
Jesus did not suffer on the cross just to show us an example of what real love looks like, though it does show us the greatness of his love. But his suffering on the cross was for us. His suffering on the cross was because he took our sins upon himself and died in our place. He paid the penalty that was due to us because we have sinned. And when he died, when he died, it looked like the darkness had won. But we're going to sing at the close of this service that he trampled over death, that he crushed death. How? By death. That he defeated death by dying in our place. Because Paul says not only was he supposed to suffer, verse 23, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he doesn't just suffer, but he rises from the dead. Easter proclaims that not only does Jesus save us from death, but he gives us life. He rises from the dead because death has no power over him. And he has, he emerges. As he comes out, what does it say? He proclaims light. He says that the darkness has not won. He calls us to come out of the shadows and to come, to come into the light so that we might know the forgiveness of our sins, so that we might know the new life that Jesus offers us, that we might know that he has come to give us eternal life. He's come to give us life forever with him. And he offers this beautiful message of light and life to all people. It says that it's a light here. He proclaims light both to our people and to the Gentiles. He's speaking to Agrippa, to our people, to the Jewish people, and to Gentiles. It's not just for one group of people. It's for all people. Paul proclaims this message too. Verse 22, he says, I stand here testifying both to small and great. We know who the great are. They're up there on the podium, if you will. They're the ones that are dressed in all their royal finery. But you might think about all the servants that are in that room. You might think about the riffraff of society that had gathered that day just to see what's going to happen. What is Paul going to say? And Paul, in a sense, he says, I'm here for the small. I'm here for everyone down here on the lower level. Everyone in the nosebleed section, they can't even see what's going on. And I'm here for the great. I'm here for you all, too, because this message is it's for everyone. We all need the same message because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. All of us, all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. There is none righteous, not one. And we are all under the penalty of death because of our rebellion against the holy God who dwells in unapproachable light. We all need a Savior, small, great, Jew, Gentile, everyone needs a Savior. So praise God, we are all invited to come, every single person. We're invited to come in repentance, to turn from our sin, to turn from the darkness, and to believe in Jesus, the light of the world, the one who suffered on our behalf and rose to give us everlasting life. There are some, maybe in this room even, who hear that message and they say, you are out of your mind. Isn't that what Festus says? It says, Paul, you're out of your mind. Are you telling me, are you telling me that you believe that, that this guy Jesus was God in the flesh and that he came down to the earth so that he would die in your place? Is that what you, and that, that he rose from the dead? Think about what we're gathered here to, to, that we say we believe. We believe that Jesus died and came back to life. There's people that look at us and they say, you are out of your mind. Not only that you believe that, but that you believe that that's the way to be made right with God. That that's how you find forgiveness of sins. And what is our response? I say, I'm not out of my mind. <laughs> that's what Paul says. Paul says, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. 
Others say, you think that you can convince me in such a short time? Isn't that what Agrippa says? He talks to Agrippa and he says, Agrippa, you know all this stuff. You, 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 you've read the, the prophets. I know that you believe them. And Agrippa says, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Do you think that just in one service you can convince me that this is what Jesus came to do? And what's Paul's response? Short or long? Doesn't matter how long. I just hope that you do believe. I hope that you come to be like me in believing in Jesus, except not for these chains. So there are those that would say, you're out of your mind, or you can't convince me in such a short time. And I think my response, if that's if that's your heart uh, this morning, is to say, these are true and rational words. I am not out of my mind. And everyone that's gathered here that believes this is not out of, out of their minds. He says later on, he says, um, I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for none of this has been done in a corner. Jesus wasn't hiding what he did. And if you want to seek out the truth, I believe that you will find the truth in Scripture. If you go to God and say, God, reveal the truth to me. Help me to see if this is real. Should I really believe this? I believe that these are true, rational words, that nothing is hidden. And if you come, whether short or long, however long it takes, I pray that you would turn in faith to Christ. Others might say, I've seen the light. Maybe you've seen it for the first time today, that God's made it clear that you are a sinner before him, and that you are in need of forgiveness you want to leave that realm of darkness. You want to come into God's wonderful light. Know that you don't get there by good deeds. You don't get there by doing a list of things. You get there because of what Jesus has done. Jesus has accomplished everything for us by his life and death and resurrection. And that it's by simple faith in him that we come to know who he is. Maybe it's not the first time you've seen the light today. Maybe this is the 50th or the 500th or the 5,000th time that you've heard this message that Jesus has come to proclaim light, but it's it's just shining in brilliance today. Easter is just a great time for the for the light of the truth to shine in all of its beauty, and I pray that it does. I pray that God illumines his word to us. So if that's us, I think that this day is a day of rejoicing. We rejoice in what Christ has done. We rejoice that that he has defeated sin and death and hell, and Satan, that he has made us his children, that he's brought us into the kingdom of his marvelous light. And as as those who have been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light, we need to be like what Paul says, Philippians 2.15, he says that we need to be children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. This place, this the world that we live in is a world that's filled with darkness. And what are we? We are ambassadors of the light of the world. We come and we shine forth light into the darkness. We say that Jesus is the light of the world. He comes to bring forgiveness of sins. He comes to make all things right. He comes to call us out of darkness and into light. I pray that we would have a heart like Paul's. Look at Paul's heart here. He says, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am. If we have been rescued by the light of the world, rescued from darkness, then this should be our heart. Our heart is that small, great, Jew, Gentile, anyone that we can talk to, co-workers and friends and, and family members and people we run into at the grocery store, that we would say, I wish, I hope that all would come to know the truth, that Jesus is the light, that he's come to bring forgiveness of sin, that's, that, that, that people are in darkness and they're lost, and that we would want them to come to see the light of the truth. We don't want them to become like us because we say, look at us, we're so great. 
But we say, God has just revealed by his light. He's shined his light into my heart, and I see my sin, and I turn repentance and faith. And I want all people to do that. We want all people to become brothers and sisters of the risen Jesus. The risen Jesus who tasted death for us, who rose victorious for us, so that one day, so that one day, for all eternity, in the new Jerusalem, we will live. The new Jerusalem where there is no need for the sun. You remember this? Why? Because the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is who? The Lamb. Jesus. The light of the world. I think... Spring may finally get here. I don't know. We've been looking at pictures from a year ago, and there were buds all over the place, and the buds are slowly starting to show up on the trees, and just when we thought that the death of winter was never going to go away, I think that, that the new life of spring is coming. And it's, it's a little rainy and dreary right now, isn't it? But I, I have faith that the sun is going to come out today. Because it's Easter. The sun has to come out. And so, and so when the sun comes out, this is what I think we should do. I think we should go and we should stand in the light of the sun that God has created. That, that in the darkness, you think about creation, that in all that darkness, Jesus, the agent of creation, God speaks forth. He says, let there be light. And there was. And I think that God has done that for so many of us. He's spoken into our, the darkness of our hearts and our sin. He says, let there be light. And he shines in. And so if the sun comes out today, I would encourage you to just walk out and to, and to look up in the sun, to, to think about the light, to let the light shine on you in some unique way, and to raise your hands up to heaven, to who God is, and to thank God, to thank God for Jesus, to thank God for the wonderful light of Easter, that Jesus is the light of the world, that he has come to conquer sin and death. And whatever darkness was in us, he's come and he's shined his light into our lives to cause all the darkness to flee. He is risen. Let me pray one more time for us. Father God, we, we come with hearts full of thanks that in the darkness of our sin you have come. Lord, you paid the price that we could not pay, and then you rose victorious over sin and death and hell and Satan. Lord, you've transferred us out of darkness into your marvelous light. May we live as children of the light. Lord, and I pray if there are any who are still in the light, in the dark here today, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself, that by the power of your word you would expose their sin and cause them to turn in repentance and faith to you. Lord, may we live lives that honor you, live lives that walk in the light. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.